We have a special treat for you this morning. Um, it's kind of fun in that I, I got to introduce this guy because so many of you have come in the last couple of years. Our church has been growing. So some of you don't know that Pastor Dave Gudgel faithfully served this church for 20 years. He taught and led and served. He was one of the first people I ever met coming in the door here at ABF. Would you please give it up for Pastor Dave Gudgel? Well, good morning, everybody. What a privilege to stand up here and be a part of the ministry again today. Uh, we were here 25 years total, came and uh, well, about 40 years ago is actually when we came to this church. It's 1977. I came to be the youth pastor. We met in that room right there. If you've ever been in there, there's not a lot of room. The youth group wasn't very large. But we got off to a, a pretty good start. I did take the kids to Disneyland. I had to bust two of them out of jail uh, as a part of that trip. But, you know, <laughs> that's a whole other story. I don't have time to go and explain it. But uh, I'm sure the youth group is at a better place today <laughs> than it was back then. Uh, and so I was a youth pastor for a couple of years till I trained somebody else. He took my place. I became the associate pastor. And then... After I graduated from seminary, I was at Student Tablet Seminary here in the area. We had moved from Fresno. Uh, and so after uh, finishing Talbot, the pastor who was at the church, his name was Brad, uh, he got a call. He said it was from God uh, to go to a church in Hawaii. So we we're all like, oh, yeah, really sure, you know. And uh, so he ended up over there, and the church is trying to figure out what do we do and I was here, and they said, well, would you be kind of the interim? And I said, okay. And then as we started that process, they said, would you consider being the pastor, you know, the lead pastor? And I said, well, I wasn't thinking about that, but I think you guys should go through the whole search process and, you know, figure out whether or not I'm the guy. Because actually, I didn't go to seminary thinking that I would ever be a lead pastor. I just felt that was what God wanted for me in terms of just further education, uh, so they went through the whole thing, and at the end of it, they said, we think you're the guy, and the church voted, and it was like 98% or something. I mean, it was amazing. We were shocked. And so the Lord kept us here for 25 years total, 21 years as the lead pastor. So things changed a lot. I mean, those of you that are brand new, this building had pews in it. We used to be called Agora Baptist Church, so that means we used to answer the phone ABC people, some of you are saying, well, anyway, but it's ABF. And we, we saw so many things happen. That building right over the children's building, that building was raised in one day. We had a person in the church who had a, a framing crew, a, a construction company, and he, he said to his workers, he said, I'm going to be here on such and such a day. They had shipped all the lumber over and all of that stuff. I'm going to be here on such and such a day to help frame this building. And I just want to invite you all to come as well. And of course, if that's your boss, right, what are you going to do? So about 50 of them showed up, and that building got done in one day, I mean, in terms of the structure. So there's just so many stories of things that happened over the years. But it's an absolute joy to come back here and, and see the beauty of the campus and see, you know, the modern things that have been done here and, uh, and to have a well. Awesome. We always wanted a well, you know. Are you kidding? So, you know, it's just great to be here and to be a part of this and to have a privilege to, you know, be with you this morning. 
We're now uh, in the Northern California area. After we left here, we took a position in Phoenix, a whole nother story. We never imagined that God would take us to Phoenix. I mean, have you ever been in Phoenix in the summer? You feel like you died and went to the wrong place. I'm serious. This is a mess over there in the summer. We went to a church where uh, they wanted to have as their first pastor, J. Vernon McGee. Have you ever heard of that guy, the Radio Bible Hour? Uh, they said, would you come and be our pastor? He said, there are three reasons I would not come and be your pastor, June, July, and August. <laughs> yeah, well, if you go live in Phoenix, you find out it's much more than June, July, and August, where it's over 100 forever over there. But God surprised us and took us over there for seven years. We were part of a church there. And now we're in the Bay Area in the Silicon Valley in Los Altos, Mountain View, by Google and Apple and LinkedIn and Facebook and all of those places. And so most of the people in our church are engineers. And um, that means that, you know, when they're listening to me speak, they're kind of sitting there like an engineer type, you know, wondering and calculating and everything else. And I'm not really sure what they're thinking till about a week later when they let me know, you know, but they're processing it all. It's just a whole different experience there. It really is. But God has been doing some wonderful things. And so we've been there almost seven years in this church, and uh, it's, it's a whole different thing. But we absolutely love the years here. Um, in fact, just coming back, we thought, what were we thinking? Why do we move away from here? Are you kidding? This is a great place to live. But God moved us. It wasn't the church. You didn't come to us and say, get out of here. We're done with you. It was just the Lord, as you remember, that moved us. And um, seriously, if God would have told us, I'm going to take you to Phoenix, we would have said, Lord, I think you've got to keep us here. We would have found a way uh, to, to continue to stay. But anyway, so a little bit about the ministry there, but even more so, this was the place we raised our family. This is the place that we had three children. This was the place where you nurtured them and helped us grow our kids up to love the Lord. They still love the Lord. Just incredible things happened here. We have three children, Brent, Brian, and Katie. Here's a picture of our family on an Easter Sunday way back. This was during the time where you would wear a tie on Easter and other things like that, right? Uh, and so we were all dressed up, and you could see us. We, and this is out by the bell tower, which is no longer... I noticed the bell tower is gone, but I heard in the first service the bell's here somewhere. So that's cool. Glad you kept the bell. But anyway, so <laughs> that was our family back then. And uh, now they've all grown up as we have and, you know, changed a little bit. Here's a picture of Brent and his wife, Danielle. Uh, they're in Santa Cruz at the boardwalk there with their two children, Annabelle and Alden. Alden's uh, one now. So they're a lot of fun. And then we have Brian and his wife, Mary, and they have four children, uh, Camden Anderson, Kaylee, and Tinley. They live in Merced. Brian works with uh, UBS. He's a financial ad advisor there. Just to go back to Brent, he, they live in Austin, Texas, and he works with documentary films. They do documentary films, and it's really been amazing to see how God's used them. And then uh, Katie, uh, she is our youngest, and she married Bracken, and Bracken had already been married, and he had three children. So as soon as Katie married Bracken, all of a sudden we had three more grandchildren, and she had three more children to be responsible for. And since then, they've had Paisley, the little 20-month-year-old over here on the, the left side. So these are our kids. They're really doing well, and it's a lot of fun to see what God's doing through them. They're also in the Merced area. So if you counted all of that up, we have 10 grandchildren 
which is a shock to us. I mean, it's fantastic, but at the same time, you're like, how did this happen? Just before Camden uh, was born, Mary and Brian called me up and said, you know, we're going to have this baby, and so we're trying to figure out what's the best thing for him to call you. And I said, well, why don't you just have him call me Dave? And they said, well, we can't do that. And I said, well, you know, Dave would be fine because I'm not old enough to be a grandpa. <laughs> well, after we saw Camden and I got going on the grandpa thing, I said, you could call me grandpa anything you want. You know, we're going to go down this road and this is going to be fun. So we're at a whole different place and it really is a lot of fun. Well, it's fun to come back and we're going to just talk about something that uh, we've been working on to help people uh, be able to tell the story of the Bible and to tell the story of the Bible very briefly, uh, simply, in a way that they can remember and also then they can help other people understand the story of the Bible. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but the Bible is a story. It's a story that's filled with stories, right? And, and a lot of times what we do is we focus primarily on the stories, but we don't know the storyline. And so what I'm going to try to do this morning is I'm going to try to give you the storyline of the Bible. Now, this could take hours. I've taught for Walk Through the Bible Ministries for years now, and we take all day to tell the storyline of the Old Testament, and then we take another whole day to tell the storyline of the New Testament. So this could take a long time, and we don't have that much time because we want to go eat lunch. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the storyline of the Bible, I hope in such a way that you could actually grasp this, and then it could be something that you can not only know and benefit by, but it's also something that you can help others benefit by as well. So you might take what we're going to uh, learn this morning and actually be able to pass this on to others. And you say, how am I going to do that? Well, I'm going to give you 15 pictures, okay? So in your uh, bulletin this morning, you'll see some message notes. And, and these message notes just have the pictures that are there. If you want to jot down a word or two, do that. But here's what I found. We love pictures. I know that you love pictures you, because you're probably on Facebook or Instagram or something, and you're constantly posting pictures. You love pictures. We love pictures. We're constantly taking pictures. I had a couple of pictures already taken of me this morning. Let me get this picture, okay? And I know it's probably going on some social you know, medium of some, some capacity. So we love pictures, but we also love stories, don't we? And when you put for, stories and pictures together, you can pretty much remember something. In fact, you do this all the time, like you came home from vacation, and if you could find anybody that was interested in your vacation, uh, you said, hey, would you like to know about my vacation? Well, let me show you, and you pulled out your vacation pictures, and you showed them and told them your story of your vacation. Well, that's all we're going to do. I want to try to give you 15 pictures so that you can do something that my guess is most of us in this building can't do, and that is actually storyline the Bible for somebody. We believe that the Word of God is our basis for life. And so we want to understand what it is that the Word of God teaches by way of the story. Okay? So we're going to start. In fact, let me show you a quote here. This is from Pastor Tim Keller. Tim Keller is talking about this concept of the story that's found in the Bible. He says this, Many people think of the Bible as a book of moral teachings with stories sprinkled through to illustrate the teachings. But it's a lot better than that. The Bible is a single true story with teachings sprinkled through to illustrate the story. And what is the story? Here's the story. God wants a relationship with us. 
That's the story, right? God wants a love relationship with us. He wants us to love him like he loves us. The rest of the story is, but we've made it really difficult, <laughs> isn't it? And, and essentially, that's what you see all the way through the Bible. God loves people. He is relentless in a love relationship for people who have made it difficult for uh, that relationship to happen. So let's go back to the beginning of the Bible. And let's just tell the story through 15 pictures. We're going to first of all use an earth. And the earth reminds us of beginnings. Uh, the book of beginnings is the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when he created the earth, he also created a man and a woman to live here on the earth and to populate the earth, to accomplish his plan, to love him, to love each other, to fulfill his purposes. He put them in a perfect place, in the Garden of Eden. So everything was perfect until Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, disobeyed God by eating from the forbidden tree, eating fruit from the forbidden tree. Now, we don't know if it was an apple. Some of you are saying, I don't know. You know, your theology's already messed up in this whole thing. We're just going to use the apple. I mean, it could have been a banana, right? Because it was so appealing. Just see if you're here with me this morning. We don't know what kind of fruit it was. All we know is that they disobeyed God, and the result of that was that sin entered the world, and sin interrupted this relationship with God. There's now separation between man and woman and God. Sin also impacted, brought death into the relationship that they had with each other, and sin ultimately is going to bring physical death into the world. So sin rocked their world, you might say. And of course, you see that played out also in the time of Noah, right, where wickedness is spread throughout the earth as mankind multiplied, sin multiplied. You see it also during the time of the Tower of Babel where they all built for themselves this beautiful place where they can hang out and basically accomplish what they wanted and not what God wanted. They, they decided to stay in one location instead of spread out and obey God. So, so sin comes into the world. Ultimately, God launches a salvation plan through a man named Abraham. And we read about this in the last part of Genesis chapter 11, the first part of Genesis chapter 12, where God calls Abraham uh, to be one that he's going to bless the whole world through. This is his family tree, Abraham's family tree. So you've got in the tree Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, descendants of Abraham. Ultimately, it would be through his descendants that the Messiah would come, one who would bless the whole world. We call those descendants who multiplied, God called them his chosen people, chosen to be the ones through whom the Messiah would come. In time, that family ended up down in Egypt, and while they were down in Egypt, God called Moses to lead his children out of bondage. They were in bondage or slavery in Egypt. We don't Maybe a lot of us don't know the whole story, but we probably could look at this picture and say, oh yeah, I remember that part of the story. That was the, the parting of the waters of the Red Sea where God miraculously uh, made a path for his people to escape the Egyptians who were chasing them down to take them back to Egypt and put them back into bondage again. He provided for them every step of the way as he was leading them from Egypt to what he called a land of 
milk and honey. Do you remember that? The, the promised land. He was going to take them to this promised land. And, and all the way, he kept providing for them. His love provided for them. He provided water for them. He provided breakfast cereal. You remember what that was called? Manna. Yeah. Do you know what manna means? It means, what is it? So every morning they got up and they had, what is it? You know, when are we going to get something different? And finally, God provided quail for them. He provided meat for them. He gave them a law. The law was focused on, the first four commandments in the law are focused on loving God. And the next six commandments are focused on loving others. So it's all about loving God and loving others. He gave them a law. He gave them instructions for a portable worship center. You know what that was called? The tabernacle, yeah, it was a, not the temple where there's in one location. This is one you pick up and take with you and you worship in and around it. So all of that was an expression of God's love to his people. Whether or not his people would love God was another whole question, and often they tested him. And ultimately, the test came when God, through Moses, took them to the edge of the promised land. They're about ready to go back into the promised land. They send some spies in to check the place out. They come back with a really terrible report. And because of fear and unbelief, they did not go into the promised land, but instead spent the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness to their deaths. And that's that picture right there. It's a picture of sadness because whereas God's people could have trusted him to defeat the giants that were living in the promised land, all they could see was that they were going to be in trouble if they faced those giants. They did not see that God was a giant killer. And so they disobeyed God. They wandered to their deaths. And at this point, you could say, you know, maybe the story would end. You know, they wandered to their, their deaths, and, and the story went in. Well, actually, it doesn't end, thankfully. God intervened again, and this time he intervened through a new leader, and his name was Joshua. And Joshua is now going to bring the people into the promised land. They were going to conquer the same giants that their parents feared, and the first city that they were to face was the city of what? It had a wall. Jericho. You remember that? They faced the city of Jericho, and in uh, following God's lead, the walls of Jericho fell down. They went in and they possessed the promised land that God promised to give to them. Now, if in the storyline of the Bible, there would ever be a, and they potentially lived happily ever after moment, this would be it, right? I mean, some of you know that this was that time where Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I mean, things were really going good in the people's relationship with God. They were seeing God do one great thing after another. But after that generation passed from the scene, their descendants, instead of chasing God and loving God like their parents and grandparents loved him, their descendants instead turned away from God. In the book of Judges, we're told about this during this Judges period of time where they, they turned away from God, and we're told this in the book of Judges, Everyone did, it says, what was right in their own eyes. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that sound familiar? Oh, yeah. That sounds like today, doesn't it? Everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. You know, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says, There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. 
a way that seems right. See, there is a way that's right, and there's a way that seems right. And, and this generation was doing what seems right. We could do the same thing, fall into the same trap. But that's what happened in the period of Judges. And essentially, the people walked away from God. But then when they got desperate and things got bad, they came back to God. And they asked God to do something to save them. And God often saved them through a judge, through a judge who brought deliverance. But then when things were good for a while, they then fell back into sin. And this cycle repeats itself, and that's why we have a cycle here. It's a cycle of walking to God and away from God. It's a cycle of sin and salvation. It's a cycle of asking for God's help and God giving help. And so all of that develops in the period of Judges, and essentially, after that, you have this, the same thing continuing, but just in some different figures, the kings. You heard about the kings? The king's period followed the judge's period. The, the, the king's period came to be because the people were tired of judges, and they turned to God and said, get us, they actually turned to Samuel and said, get us a king. And so God uh, relented. He, he was their king, but they gave them earthly kings. And, and this is where you hear about people like Saul and David and Solomon. And then you got, after Saul, David, and Solomon, you got 39 other kings. So during this king period, there were about 42 kings. I guess 39 plus 3 is 42, right? So I guess actually there were, I shouldn't say about, there were, there were 42 kings during this period of time. But if you look at the record, if you start reading the book of Kings or Chronicles, what you're going to find out is this, is that over and over you'll hear these words. So-and-so was a good king. So-and-so was a bad king. So-and-so was an evil king. So-and-so was an evil king. Most of the 42 kings were evil kings. In fact, of the 42 kings, only nine and a half of them, only nine and a half of them were good kings. By a good king, they had a heart for God. They say, how do you get a half on this thing? Well, I think of Solomon that way. Solomon was a guy who started out really good. He messed up in the middle of his life, and he finally came back at the end of his life to God. So I call that a half, okay? He's one of the halves on this whole thing. But the point is this, is that God was doing everything he could to draw them back to himself. In fact, during the king's period of time, see that little megaphone down there? That's a prophetic megaphone. And during that period of time, the prophets... The prophets started prophesying. So, you know, in your Bibles, when you get to those 17 prophetical books and you wonder, where did these things fit in? Some of us haven't figured it out yet. That's why there's still, those pages are still stuck together in that part of our Bible. You know, we never go over there. But where they fit, where they fit is right here. They, they start coming into play during the king's period where God sends some prophets, kind of like a pastor who comes along and calls the people back to himself. And God sent all of these prophets to call the people back to himself, but ultimately they rejected God's pleas, God's commands, and they experienced the consequences for their sins. And so this next slide is just a picture of the consequences. It's a time of, of weeping, of weeping over Israel that has been wiped off the face of the earth at this point by Assyria. It's also a time of weeping over um, Judah, has, who has been plundered by Babylonia, and they lose their land, and they are sent into exile into Babylon for 70 years. Some of you may know that Jeremiah wrote about this, Jeremiah the prophet. He wrote a book called Lamentations, 
And Lamentations is five funeral dirges. It's Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, weeping over God's people who have now experienced the consequences for their sin. But during this time, this is fascinating, God sends two more prophets. And these prophets come to God's people while they're living in Babylon and, and encourage God's people. God wants them to know this. In the midst of all of their sinfulness, he wants them to know this. I love you, and I still have a future for you. And so it's through Daniel and Ezekiel, he communicates to his children that message. And 70 years later, they return. And so here we have a return picture. They come back home. God brings them back home. Uh, Zerubbabel brought a group of people back to rebuild the temple. Ezra brought a group of people back to rebuild their spiritual life. Nehemiah brought a group of people back to rebuild the walls that had been torn, torn down. And it's during this time that also God sends three more prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And why does he send them? Because he wants God's people who potentially aren't going to stay faithful to him to be faithful. In fact, Haggai was written to the group of people that came back to rebuild the temple, but instead of rebuilding the temple, they went off and started building their own homes. They got their priorities messed up. They built the foundation of the temple, and then for the next 16 years, they went home and started building their own homes. And Zechariah had to come along and say, hey, keep your focus on the coming Messiah. And then you have Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and the last book of the Old Testament describes the condition that the people's hearts were in. They were basically hard like stone. Their relationship with God had turned into a religion. They were just going through the motions. Can you imagine that? And yet God didn't give up. That's the end of Old Testament history. What I've just given you is the end of Old Testament history between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, is a gap of time of about 400 years. It's, it's a period of silence. We don't have revelation from God, but it's a period of waiting for whatever it is that God's going to do next. And, and sometimes we find ourselves in the same kind of condition. We're waiting. I wonder what God's going to do. But he was working. While they were waiting, he was working. He was making final preparations for the coming of the promised Messiah. And, of course, we're introduced to the promised Messiah in the New Testament with the gospel accounts, the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where we learn about Jesus. And those gospels tell us who Jesus is. In fact, Jesus asked this question. He asked his followers, he said, who do the people say I am? You know what they said? They said, well, the people are saying, some of you say that you're John the Baptist. Others of them say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're just, you're one of the prophets. And Jesus looked at his followers and he said, well, who do you say I am? And they said, well, Peter actually answered for them. He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You know, when you read the gospel accounts, Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that he made to Abraham. That he was going to send somebody who would bless the world, and as Chad already reminded us this morning, who would make it possible for us to have an eternal relationship with God, who would die on the cross for our sins, to pay the payment for our sins. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. In fact, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he said this. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior, that he is the Messiah, and he came to make it possible for every one of us to have a relationship with him? He came to undo what had been done in the beginning. You know, sometimes we hear that part of the story, but we don't know the rest of the story. We don't know all that God has done to demonstrate his love toward us. We don't know that. A story really takes on meaning when you get the story and it's full, right? When you get the whole story, not just part of the story, but the whole story that man turned his back on God over and over and over again, but God did not turn his back on man, on woman. God wants a relationship with us. And so Jesus fulfilled his mission, and then we're introduced in the book of Acts to the Holy Spirit. This is fascinating. After Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit descended. And the Holy Spirit descended on Christ followers. Why? Because we've got a whole record in the Old Testament of how those who wanted to be God followers could not get it done in their own strength. And so Jesus promised to his children that the Comforter, another Helper would come, and they were to wait in Jerusalem until they received this Helper before they went out and represented him to the world. And so they, they waited in Jerusalem. And once having received the Holy Spirit, they went out and they did what Jesus told them. They went out to Jerusalem and Judea and the Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And they helped people come into relationship with Christ. And then they helped them become like Christ. That is the focus of the book of Acts. It's all about the, the work of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. In fact, if you look in your table of contents, often it'll say the Acts of the Apostles. But actually, in some earlier translations, if you looked in the table of contents, it would have said the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's what God does through a person. This isn't about living a natural life. This is about living a supernatural life. And that all comes into focus in the book of Acts. And ultimately, then, that leads to the next 22 letters. Because as the apostles and followers obey Jesus in making disciples, that also included writing letters in their disciple-making. And so we have 22 letters that follow the gospel accounts, the book of Acts, and 22 letters, are, are they're also called epistles. By the way, epistle, an epistle is not the wife of an apostle, okay? It's not the wife of an apostle. It's a letter. It's a letter to a church or it's a letter to a person. And what these letters are trying to do is help people come into a relationship with God and then having come into the relationship, become more and more like Jesus Christ. They're just doing what Jesus said in the Great Commission. They're going and they're baptizing and they're teaching and they're teaching those who come to Christ to do all that Christ commanded. They're not teaching uh, those who follow Christ. They're not teaching those to know all that Christ commanded, but they're teaching them to do all that Christ commanded. That's disciple-making. 
You see, disciple-making is about two things. It's about two things. It goes all the way back to the beginning. It's all about helping people love God and love others. When I was here, I finally figured that out. Every week, I figured it out. I'm going to do a message that's either going to be a vertical message that's focused on God, loving God, or I'm going to do a horizontal message that's focused on loving each other, whether in the body of Christ or outside the family. It's just focused. It's just either that or that. So in case you haven't figured that out yet, Pastor Scott, that's all he's doing. Just one of those two messages. Or it's a combination of those two messages. That's the message. That's the message that has come from the very beginning. Final letter is the book of Revelation. It's a letter you've, as a church, did some studying in here the past few weeks as you focused on these different churches. I think you finished uh, church six last week, Philadelphia. I got to watch that message yesterday. That was fantastic. You got a great pastor. I mean it. Pastor Scott, this guy, he's cool. He's, he, I'm, just, I'm thrilled with what God is doing through him and the staff and the church. But anyway, I'll get back on topic here. But the point is, is that the book of Revelation is the final a word from God in the Bible, and here's the final word. God wants us to know that sin and death and tears and pain and suffering and all of this is not going to go on forever. There is going to be a new beginning. There is a new beginning. And this new beginning is going to come after a time of judgment, but there's going to come a new beginning. There's going to be a new heavens and new earth. And God's children, those who are connected to him through Jesus Christ, are going to live with him forever. Now that's the storyline of the Bible. Simply said, it is the story of God's love for people that do not deserve it. We don't deserve God's love, do we? No. But God loves us. And he wants a relationship with us. And so my encouragement for you is to just take those 15 pictures, we put them into a summary chart, and just get to know them. Get to know the message so that you can share this message, so that you can benefit by this message. And just use the pictures to prompt, to prompt your remembrance of what the Bible teaches, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth to have a relationship with us, but man and woman sinned. But God then launched a plan of salvation through a man named Abraham and his family. Ultimately, he sent Moses. And Moses led the children out of Egypt into or to the edge of the promised land, but fear and unbelief led to their deaths in the desert. But that didn't end the story. It could have. God put in Joshua's hands a baton of leadership. And Joshua led the people into the promised land, and things were going great until the period of the judges when everybody started doing what was right in their own eyes. They had an on-and-off relationship with God, and it was more of the same during the period of the kings, in spite of the fact that God sent prophets to call them back to himself. Ultimately, that led to their judgment consequences, but that only lasted for 70 years, and God brought them back to his land. Between the Old and the New Testament, there's a period of silence or a period of waiting as God is preparing. He's putting in place final preparations for the coming of the Messiah. His name is Jesus. 
And Jesus' story is told in the four Gospels. And after Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit descended on Christ's followers so that they could be empowered to make disciples, which is what they did. And the 22 letters focus on the making of disciples. But ultimately, ultimately, God is going to bring a new heavens and a new earth, and things are going to be just as he intended them to always be. That's the storyline of the Bible. And my hope for you is that as you begin to reflect on this, as you begin to work with this, that this will grow your love for God. I'll tell you one thing that's happened for us as Bernice and I have worked on this project the past couple of years is it has deepened our love for God as we've seen over and over again God loving people that did not deserve it. And yet he desires a relationship with us that much. And not just with us, but people all around the world, right? So I want to know that. I want to fall in love with that more and more and with him. I want to understand what the scriptures teach. I hope the same for you. If these storyboards will help you do that, then use them that way. But don't sit on it. Share them with others. Share the story with others. I love sharing the story with others through these pictures. What I've done is I've put the pictures. It's actually an app, but I put the pictures on my phone, just in a PDF form, and we're going to make it possible for you to get these pictures if you want. These are the black and white pictures. He has some color ones, but it seems like the black and whites work best for people because in some ways you can just sit down and actually, you know, draw the storyboard of the Bible uh, with 15 pictures on a napkin if you like to draw. Or, you know, maybe you don't want to show your artwork, and that's a whole different story. But what we found is that you can share these pictures with others. You could do it through PDFs or whatever you want to do. And so if it would be helpful for you, we're just going to send back to the office uh, this file. If you ask Nancy or Stephanie to send you the file, they'll just uh, send it to you by email as an attachment. You could put it on your phone. And I encourage you to do what it is that I'm doing, asking people, hey, has anybody ever helped you understand the story that's found in the Bible? And it's fascinating When you ask that question of people, if you're into a spiritual conversation, I've never yet heard a person say, yeah, I understand the story. I've not had one say that to me. But they are fascinated, and the pictures just help rivet attention on the story that you then are able to share. After we taught this in our church in uh, Northern California in Los Altos there, a couple weeks after that, one of the six-year-olds that learned the pictures and the story that morning had the opportunity over the next uh, week or so at her home to share the story with an unbelieving uncle and an unbelieving friend, somebody who's not in the family of God, at two different times. She borrowed her father's phone and said, Dad, could I just share the, the story? And she shared it. And who knows what might come out of that, but if a six year old can share the story, I think we all could, right? We can learn the story. And we can share the story. And why would we do that? Because we want to help people come to Christ. And we want to help people take a step in becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. I hope that for you. That's what we're continuing to try to do. And may it all be whatever we do. May it all be to God's glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for this time this morning just to be encouraged uh, by your scriptures and your love. And my prayer first this morning, Lord, is for anybody who's here that does not have a relationship with you. If, if in fact, today is the first time they've heard this story and you're working in their hearts to not only help them understand the story, but embrace it, 
May this be the day of salvation for them. May this be the day where they receive the gospel, where they confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that you raised him from the dead and be saved. In fact, if that's the desire of your heart before you leave this morning, just tell God that or talk to one of us so that we can help you receive the message, the, the gospel that's found in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that those of us who are already in your family, that we can grow even closer to you, that our love for you can grow in monumental ways. And you would even help what we've talked about this morning be something that would help us grow to love you more than we do even right now. And may we be able to share it with others. For we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.